Well, good morning. Uh, it's an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 3, looking at, at verses 1 through 6. If you didn't bring your Bible, feel free to use the blue one and the chair back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. It's a gift from us to you. It's so important that you have the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, we praise you today for the gift of your word. Father, your word is that in which, as Jesus said himself, in which we are sanctified, that we might be sanctified in the truth, that today, Lord, through the word of God, through the work of your Holy Spirit, Father, that we may grow in the truth of your word. We praise you for this gift. Father, today I ask that you would remove any opinion that I give today, they would be a distant memory, but your word would stand. Father, today I ask that for my brothers and sisters who gather up here today that are struggling, that are fighting battles, Lord, I pray that today your word through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would, would reveal to them ways in which they should walk. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I may be preaching this one without notes today if my iPad keeps going to sleep on me. That would probably be fun. So today is one of those texts that, as I've told you before, one of the most important um, things in which I can faithfully do for you as your pastor is to faithfully preach the Word of God expositionally. That means that verse by verse, we proclaim the Word of God and we never leave any verse out at any time. And so this is one of those verses in, in the book of Ephesians. There's so much meat, if I would say, in the book of Ephesians that you can easily pass through this section of the, of the text, right? Because it's one of those you're like, well, I kind of relate to it. I kind of have thought about what that mystery might be that he's talking about, but there's so much more meat there. And so this is one of those texts that honestly is not preached a lot. So verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, 
on behalf of you Gentiles. It's really important that we understand something that Paul describes here. Notice how Paul describes himself in verse 1. A prisoner. There is a wonderful irony in the words he chooses here. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I believe that the irony lies in that Paul is writing this epistle from a Roman prison. Under the authority of Rome, under the emperor Nero. But rather than identifying himself as a prisoner of Nero, the emperor of Rome, he glorifies in his incarceration under the lordship of Christ. He glorifies it. Think about that for a minute. Pause for a minute and just think through that truth. That a man possibly facing death, chained to a Roman guard, calls himself a prisoner of the one who set him free. And he glorifies in it. He praises God for his circumstance, doesn't he? He sees himself not as held and bound by Rome, but rather as held and mastered by the Lord Jesus. There is a reason that he is held captive, and we can't miss this. He is held captive by Jesus. Why? On behalf of the Gentiles. Sometimes I don't think that that word Gentiles is powerful enough for us sitting here in a church in Colorado. But the truth is, there's not many of you who are fully of Jewish upbringing. And so for him sitting there today, this proclamation of the Gentiles allowed most of us in this room access to the faith. It's not them, it's us. The New Testament gives great importance to the role of the apostle after their selection and commission by Jesus. The word apostle literally means who has, one who has been sent. An apostle is an ambassador or a, or a figure that represents the king, such as a king or a prime minister. Paul speaks here with authority of the one who sent him or the one who commissioned him. The first apostle in the New Testament was Christ Jesus himself. His office is to be the anointed one sent from the Father. He clarifies this in John chapter 8, verse 28. He says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing from my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. When Jesus called his apostles, he declared to them, Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Paul is reminding his readers here 
that through the grace of God, saved by Jesus, by the grace of God, he has been set apart. By the grace of God, he was called to be an apostle. By the grace of God, he was given the call to go to the Gentiles. And by the grace of God, which most of us don't want to really think about, he was bound as a prisoner. By the grace of God, he was bound as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. I wonder if you, I wonder if I, I wonder if we walk in the same perspective in our current season of life as Paul gives us here. When we walk through the valleys of life, or more importantly, when we walk through the mountaintops of our life, how do we view those seasons? Or do we even think about it when we're in them? Do we purposely seek the why? Do you spend your days seeing that they are ordained and commissioned by the author of life? Or is it just another day? Like tomorrow is Monday. And I can remember so many times back when I was a, when I was a principal, my teachers would come in and they would just, my, where my office was, the staff entrance passed by. So the staff passed by my office every single day. And on Mondays, there was a pretty standard tone of those walking in on Monday morning, right? Many times it was beaten, downtrodden, and tired, right? Many times they would look over at me and just sigh. Many times they would look over at me and just shrug their shoulders. Many times they would look over at me and say, not sure I can do this today. Is that the perspective we should have if we are walking in a day or a season that is ordained and commissioned by the author of life? Should we truly ever live a day that's just another ordinary day? My fear is that for most of us, we just view days as another one rather than an appointed one. Our, world, our worldly versus our biblical perspective, it has a collision course on our days. And it's really, really important that we identify it here and that we're honest with each other. Because every breath that we have been granted was granted to us by Jesus. In our men's and women's Bible study, we just started our study through the book of Colossians. And if you're not joining us for that study, I encourage you today to make every sacrifice possible to join that fellowship. Because as I said before, you are needed there. Your presence is a blessing to others. And it's a beautiful time in the Lord. But in Colossians, the study that we're doing... Paul will help us align with this picture of our days and the appointment of our days. 
In Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Don't miss this. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That literally means all things. That literally means the fact that you, today you woke up and there is breath in your lungs and your heart is beating means that He is holding it together. Don't miss that when you look at your days. All things were created through Him and for Him. That includes you and your daily life. Through Him and for Him. Our perspective here is crucial. Do you understand that your days are not your own? I know that you know that I know that you know that from a psychological level if you've spent any time in church. You've heard a pastor say that your days are not your own. But do you live it? Do you live every day as if it is an appointment from the Lord Jesus Christ? Just as Paul was not in prison at the hands of Nero, you are not walking through your circumstance by chance or by accident. It is the providence of the Lord Jesus. You see, providence is something that we don't acknowledge in our daily lives many times. Providence is the governance of God by which He, by which He, with wisdom and love, cares for all and directs all things in the entire universe. All things, even here in Grand County. The doctrine of divine providence asserts that God is in complete troll control of all things. He is sovereign over the universe as a whole, the physical world, the affairs of the nations. Think about that in election season. Human destiny, human success and failures, and the protection of His people. He sovereignly rules over it all. The doctrine of providence stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is governed by chance or fate. Church, there is not chance or fate. Or a word that we need to completely obliterate from our vocabulary, luck. It does not exist outside of the providence of God. Through divine providence, God accomplishes His will. To ensure that His purposes are fulfilled, God governs the affairs of men and works through the natural order of all things. The laws of nature are nothing more than God's work in the universe. The laws of nature have no inherent power 
rather than they are principles that God set in place to govern how things work. They are only laws because God decreed them as such. The sun rises because God decreed it to. And Paul understood this. His imprisonment was not at the hands of Rome. It was so that the mystery, which I love, might be revealed. It was providential. What does this look like for you? What does this look like in your life? To truly walk your ways, your days, your seasons under the providential leading of the Spirit of God. What changes when you take the control out of your own hands and let the Lord lead? Man, I think I could preach on that. We may never get through with this text, so let's move on to verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. I love this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of those who is of the foundation of the church. Remember, we talked about that last week. Paul was selected to the special objective to be the, to be the extender of the grace and mercy through the Spirit of God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The stewardship of Paul's calling was what? Look at it again. What does he say there? He says, Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for what? For you. The stewardship of God's grace was given to me for you. This proclamation points to the call of the church and the providence of God. We are not our own. We are called to be stewards of the grace granted to us. But for what? For each other, for the church, for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. If your life doesn't work towards the benefit of others, what are you working towards? Your own end? Our life, our resources, our gifts are given to us through the providence of God to be stewarded towards the work of His kingdom. This idea of stewardship is lost in our American culture. It truly is. For example, if we were to all just one day come, instead of having just our regular worship time, or maybe after church, after potluck, we're saying, all right, everybody bring your family budgets, and we're going to look at them together. Ouch, right? I know. If our idea of stewardship of a kingdom is representative of our family budget, is your budget one that places priority on the kingdom and the gospel advancement? Does your budget place priority on his church and the advancement of his kingdom? 
what would be our deduction of your budget from a stewardship of God's resources? Does your life, your budget, your decisions point to a steward of grace or a steward of self? Does it point to kingdom coming or self-preserved present? Paul says, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, a steward of God's grace given to me for what? For you. For you. May we walk in such a stewardship. Let's keep going. Verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not, which was not made known to the sons of men in the other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The primary mystery of the New Testament that previously was not made known and has now been revealed is the inclusion of the Gentiles in the church or as Paul said last week, in the building of God's kingdom, stone by stone. All people from all nations who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior become incorporated into his body, the church, to, protect, to participate in the legacy of the Savior, to proclaim the coming kingdom. Or as Paul writes to the church at Rome, he calls them heirs of God. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Paul says that this revelation by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets... You may notice this and you may not. His order here is different. Usually when you see the word apostles and prophets, you see them in reverse order. The order here is different. Usually when you see the apostle speaks of the prophets and the apostles, he does so in this order of listing the prophets first. When the words appear in this order, prophets refer to the Old Testament men that we know as the prophets of God who helped bring the revelation through the power of the Spirit that gave us the Word of God. In the Old Testament, a prophet was a spokesman that revealed a special truth. The office in the New Testament that corresponds to that of a prophet is the office of apostle. And regardless of what some churches say today, there are no more apostles. Because the word of God is complete and the canon has been sealed. There are no more apostles. 
In this instance, however, Paul reverses the order and speaks of God's holy apostles and prophets. And I believe, I really believe, I spent a lot of time trying to figure this, the why. And I think here Paul is placing supreme importance to this office of apostleship in context to this mystery. The mystery that the Gentiles are partakers of the promise. And for some of us, we may be thinking, like, what promise, right? What promise? They are the promises God made with man. Also could be known as the covenants, right? So let's cover them really, really quickly. Let's go, go we'll do a fast, a fast walk through some of the covenants that are presented in the, in the scriptures. The first is the Adamic covenant, which included the curses pronounced against mankind for sin and, and for, for the sin of Adam and Eve, as well as God's provision that sin. The curse and provision is the blessed gospel. What about the Noahic covenant? was an unconditional covenant between God and Noah and humanity. After the flood, God promised humanity that he would never again destroy all life on earth with the flood. God gave the rainbow as a sign of the covenant, a promise that the entire earth would never again flood, and the reminder that God can and will judge sin. The next is the Abrahamic covenant. In this covenant, God promised many things to Abraham. He personally promised that he would make Abraham his name great, that Abraham would have numerous physical descendants, and that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. God also made promises regarding the nation called Israel. In fact, geographical boundaries of the Abrahamic covenant are laid out on more than one occasion in the book of Genesis. Another provision in the Abrahamic covenant is that the families of the world will be blessed through the physical line of Abraham. And this is the reference to the Messiah who would come from the line of Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant is one that I remember from Sunday school before I even knew the Lord. It was a place, it was a people, and it was a blessing. And that blessing was Christ Jesus. The Mosaic Covenant is another covenant in the Scriptures. It was a conditional covenant that either brought God's direct blessing for obedience or God's direct curse for disobedience upon the nation of Israel. The Davidic Covenant amplifies the seed aspect of the Abrahamic Covenant. The promises to David in this passage are significant. God promises that David's lineage would last forever, and that his kingdom would never pass away permanently. Obviously, the Davidic throne has, has not been in place at all times. There will be a time, however, when someone from the line of David will again sit on the throne and rule as king. This future king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the new covenant in which Paul proclaims in our text today. And it's the promise prophesied in the text we read during our scripture reading in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I have made with their fathers, 
on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each teach to his neighbor and each to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. All know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. The new covenant is a covenant made first with the nation of Israel and ultimately with all mankind. In the new covenant, God promises to forgive sin, and there will be a universal knowledge of the Lord. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law of Moses and created a new covenant between God and His people. Now that we are under the new covenant, both Jew and Gentile can be free from the penalty of the law. We are now given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. In understanding the promises, the covenants of God, we begin to understand the true depth of this mystery. Not only that of the Gentiles, and as we talked about in our opening of of Colossians this week, these Gentiles, for most of them, were pagan Greeks but they would be grafted into this promise. You and I would be grafted into this promise. This picture is beautiful. The mystery that is revealed points directly to the mercy of our Father. While we were separated from the Father in our sin, we were far away from God, outside of the family of God due to our bloodline. But it was not our bloodline, it's important we understand this, it was not our bloodline that separated us from God, but our sin. Sin from our father Adam. But God displayed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And all who call upon His name, confess their brokenness, place their faith in Him, are born again. They are regenerated. They are fully justified. They are given a new name as sons and daughters. Church, this is the mystery revealed. It's a majestic hope. It's a beautiful truth that we never lose sight of. It's the gospel. The mystery revealed is the gospel. It is for you because you were once a pagan unbeliever. Before God revealed His truth to you. But church, you must know this. And look at me as I say this. This is how my my brother Josh Green would say, look at me with your face moment. The beauty and the majesty of this truth is one of the things that keeps your pastor up at night.
the beauty and the majesty of this truth. Church, this message should never grow stagnant in your life. You never outgrow the gospel. If you think that you do, you're missing the truth of it. You're missing the root of it. You never outgrow the gospel. And my concern as your pastor is always this, and it keeps me up at night, is that you somehow think that you move past it. Is that you somehow think that it's no longer as beautiful because you're already walking in it. Church, that's the root of what keeps me up at night, is that you would move past the beauty of this mystery that has been revealed and that you would forget your first love. That you would forget. Remember what I said the root of apostasy in the Old Testament was? It was what? It was that they constantly did what? They forgot the ways of God. When God was, was heavily at work, they were zealous for the Lord. But that zeal, that zeal slowly faded. Has that zeal faded in your life, in your walk? Because He is the same God today as He was in the creation. He's the same God today as He will be and at the consummation. And He has called us to live this life of this mystery filled with zealous pursuit. Because church, don't forget that in your regeneration, in you being born again, you are what? You are His masterpiece. Remember what the book of Ephesians said there, like you're His poemia, right? You're His poetry. You're His work of art. When God created us, He created us in the image of Himself. In our regeneration, in our being born again, He created us in the glory of Himself. Don't miss this. Don't forget this. Don't buy into the lie that you're ordinary. You're extraordinary because you are His masterpiece. And that should cause you to, to leap from the rooftops this message. You are His righteousness, church. Lord, today I ask that you walk in it that you steward this gift daily, that you change your perspective of your circumstances, and that you cling to His providence, and you walk in the truth that this is not a day, just another day, but it is a day appointed by the Father for you to live as His disciple and to go and make disciples. Love as an heir to the throne, as an heir to the kingdom. Church, walk as his masterpiece. Pray with me.